We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And in this week without Lakers basketball, a lot of our conversations have been kind of a different version of the same conversation, which is how do these guys fit together? And Lakers have two players uh, who are set to make their season debut, hopefully on Friday, in Dennis Schroeder and Thomas Bryant. And so we're going to talk about them today. To zoom out for a second, I think these conversations are especially important important right now. They're not something that we're going to have, I think, the entirety of the season, but for two reasons. One, it's simply our record. We're three and ten, and we're about two and a half games back from the pack in uh, in cycling in the Tour de France. I think they call it the the peloton, right? The whole big group of bicyclists where. Whether you're in the front or in the back, it only matters a little bit because you're so closely packed together that that's where the, the bulk of the, the racers are. That's kind of what the Western Conference looks like right now. A lot of teams are two and a half games back of that number one seed, very compact. And so we need a couple of wins in the in the meantime, right? We've got games against Detroit on Friday. We've got three games against San Antonio coming up, some winnable games. But also in a more 10,000 foot view, by all indications, this is an evaluative period, D, where the Lakers want to give 20, 25 games to see what the roster is, see what moves need to be made, if any. And Dennis and TB are the last two guys within that where we don't know. And so let's start in the backcourt with Dennis. We've talked a bit about him, but, but I'd love to focus in on him. He's somebody that I think that is... I think where he plays and when he plays is going to be especially important. But talk to me about Dennis Schroeder and how you see him fitting in with this group. Well, I think there's both a big picture view about what the team needs are and then a very specific view about what Dennis's game is and how good he can actually be at this point of his career and what his focus is and all of these other things that we actually won't know a ton about until he's actually on on the floor. I had a piece that went up last week, I think at Silver Screen and Roll, talking about this exact topic, Dennis Schroeder and Thomas Bryant's return, and how I think they're going to help. Not that they're going to turn the team around, but that they're going to help. And I think that this plays into what you were talking about, Pete, in terms of it being an evaluation period, because 
these two players forecast to me at least they forecast in to the rotation to give the Lakers very specific things that they currently do not have. And so in going back to Dennis, Mike, before the season started, there were reports about both Dennis Schroeder and Russell Westbrook being quote unquote lead guards on this team. And one of those players hasn't played this season at all. And the other one went from being a starter to now being a reserve. And so if now we understand that LeBron and AD are both going to take up a certain amount of usage and both of them can initiate possessions. And there's other players on the court that can initiate possessions as, as well. But over the team's first 13 games, what we've actually seen is that that other sort of lead guard type of player is actually an important piece of the puzzle because it allows LeBron to not have to bring the ball up court against full court pressure, which is what's been happening a lot this season is when he's been bringing the ball up. A guy has just been like, Hey, I'm picking you up. Like you're not going to blow by me. Mm -hmm. This isn't 2010 Miami heat LeBron. This is 2022 LeBron with 60,000 minutes on his legs. And a lot of times D that's not done to create a turnover or anything. It's to create that kind of progressive fatigue over the course of a game. 100%. And so in order to avoid LeBron doing that, they've been asking Patrick Beverly to do that, or they've been asking Austin Reeves to do do that, or Lonnie Walker to do that, or Troy Brown to do that. And all of them have various levels of utility performing that. But Dennis Schroeder is actually that player. He's been a point guard his Mm -hmm. entire career. And this is where I think he slots in, Mike, from a big picture perspective. And so I'd like to start there with Dennis and then you can zoom in as much as you do or don't want. But I think just the idea of what his skill set is and what he's comfortable doing and what his player type is, that's a useful thing for these Lakers based off of what we've seen from them over the course of this first stretch of the season. The place that I zero in on with Dennis has a little bit more to do with Darvin Ham than it typically would where I think that we've seen players for enough time in the NBA that we know what they are. And it gets back to the Darius show me corollary where, okay, yeah, I get that you're going to, you want to change the season, but you got to put it on tape, you know, to really have somebody, somebody believe it. But Dennis is a very particular personality uh, and player. And I think he's got a lot of fight in him in a good way. Um, but he's also got a lot of edge in him. And in certain situations, like last year in Boston, uh, it just didn't work out. And it wasn't just because of that. I think that it also just wasn't a great fit in terms of what they were looking for mm-hmm. in the system that they were playing. But this is part of what we talked about in the preseason. And I think it still applies here is that Darvin, and we now have evidence that Darvin was able to reach Russ, at least in a certain way. And while Russ still has, he's still Russ and he still has some of the same issues. He has bought in, in a different way, I think, to what Darvin Ham has been asking Mm -hmm. him to do. And I don't see any reason why that wouldn't apply the same to Dennis Schroeder, who came to the Lakers in large part because of Darvin Ham or came back to the Lakers in in part because of Darvin Ham, because he coached him for five years in Atlanta. um, And he was his guy for the most, I think they switched at certain points, but he was the one that worked him out before games and, and they really had a kind of a bond. So I wonder if Darvin can, can filter and channel Dennis in the ways that will help the team best. And while I say that, Pete, I think it's a tough ask 
just given what the personnel is with LeBron and with AD and with Russ and how does Dennis find his spots and how much can he show as more of a playmaker at times than a scorer if that's what they need from him to do? How much can he evolve his game there? I think it's a difficult thing, but I I do I'm giving some benefit of the doubt that I wouldn't typically um, just based on what that relationship is with Darvin. No, that buy-in is a great point, especially for guys like uh, Dennis and Russ. And as Darius said, that lead guard is so much the engine of the offense. It's a drive-and-kick offense. And so if the guy with the ball in his hands is not getting to the basket for whatever reason, the whole thing kind of stalls out. And we've seen that happen on a few occasions when it is Patrick Beverly that you're asking to do that, or a shooting guard who can sort of do it. And then also, in some ways, I see Dennis is just replacing Kendrick Nunn in terms of like whose role that they... That, that he takes um, as that smaller uh, type type of scoring guard. Um, but that idea of the uh, I, I think Dennis fits in like in a very specific place on this team and there and it's fraught with peril. I think D kind of touched on this in that Russ is a lead guard. And one of the reasons that Russ is clicked into place off of the bench it starts with the buy-in, but it's also he gets to run a unit and that's kind of what he's always done. And so if Russ is a lead guard, and when those quotes came out uh, in this offseason, D, it was with Russell Westbrook as the projected starter at the time. So at least the way I heard it was, these are our lead guards. When Russ is in the game, he's the lead guard. When Dennis is in the game, he's the lead guard. Well, unless Dennis Schroeder is starting his very first game after not playing any training camp, any of the games so far then they're probably going to be in the same lineup. And then that has a domino effect on like one guy. I've loved point guard Austin, We right? It's something that we talk about on the pod and in the text thread. If Austin's sharing the court with Dennis Schroeder and Russell Westbrook, to me, those are the games where he's going to have two shot attempts. And like, that's one thing I always text you guys. He can't have these one, two shot attempt games in 22 minutes. And so Dennis's skill set, like we know who we know who he is, right? We've seen him for a year. He's been in the league for several years uh, and we saw him up close for in 2021. But how he fits in on this team, I think, is is you have to be careful where you play him. So I'm curious your your thoughts on that, D. Like we were talking yesterday of supplementing AD and LeBron, who are the guys that fit around them, right? Like where does Dennis fit into this equation? So let me put it back to you. Do you see Dennis Schroeder as a starting level player in the NBA or more specifically for these Lakers? For these Lakers? Considering what we've seen so far and with Russ's role locked in mm-hmm. to being a bench player. Like, the Lakers have had a lot of guys out mm-hmm. at cer- at various times, and Darwin has even turned to starting Kendrick Nunn or starting guys who had, like, none had fallen out of the rotation, and Darwin brought him back in to play as a starter in order to maintain that continuity with Russ on the bench. So I want that to be a part of this like contextual conversation, right, around Dennis Schroeder. So where are both of you at? Do you see him as a starter? And do you think that that would be his best role, Mike? You know, on a typical team, I think that he's probably best more in a six-man type of a role. Mm -hmm. On this specific team, including all of the discussions that we've had about LeBron and what the asks are from a playmaking standpoint and him tending to – be better off I think playing bigger and using some of those skills more especially on offense then I do think that you need 
more ball handling and more initiating than you have in the, you know, Beverly Walker Brown trio. So in that case, it's not going to be Westbrook, right? We already know that. I still like the idea of Austin Reeves and giving him some more of that, that uh, responsibility and some room to grow and some of the playmaking, but in terms of defense and ball pressure that like, if you're, if it's, if you're going to lose Beverly in that context, and then you can gain Schroeder and pick up some more of the defense in that context. So I guess the short answer is I'd like to see it. I'd like to see him give it a shot. And I don't think necessarily to start as he comes back right away and just get some reps. And, and I mean, to start as in his first game back, which likely will be on Friday. So I would guess that he'd come off the bench, but that's not for sure. And we'll be asking Darvin Ham about that. I'm, I'm guessing at practice today and tomorrow, but I do want, I do like the concept of it and I don't know if he as the player can execute it, but I'm curious to see. Yeah, I'm in a very similar spot. Uh, I would prefer him coming off of the bench on a general hypothetical team, but on this team where LeBron, I, I think is, I would love for him to have, I would love for LeBron to be our main on-ball guy in the last five minutes of each half, right? And be able to reduce his on-ball responsibility to that. And I think that having a, a guy who could hit a pull-up jumper, a guy who does those lead guard things, like you said earlier, D, that's, this is what he does. That said, though, like like Mike was saying, it's very unlikely that he does that in the first game. And I think that if you are going to make a switch, like Austin is probably the guy who fits in there. I have some questions on that. But where do you stand on, on this, D? I would start him on Friday over Patrick Beverly. I don't care. Nice. I don't care. Like, he's a better he is a he's better than Patrick Beverly. He may not be all of the things that Patrick Beverly is defensively. He can't scale up. You wouldn't deploy him on Kevin Durant right. to start a game. There's a toughness and a leadership component that Beverly brings. There's all these intangibles that are super important to Patrick Beverly. And there's a reason why he's he's on this team. There's a reason that his net rating has been what it's been. But the Lakers start almost every game in a hole and in terms of scoring. Like one of the reasons they're behind a lot mm -hmm. in the first quarter is because those groups cannot score. That's right. They absolutely cannot score. And so like this isn't to put all of that on Patrick Beverly, but there is a chain reaction on what that lineup is missing. And what that lineup is missing is ball handling and shot creation. And it's pretty clear that they are not asking LeBron to do that. If it was 20, if it was the 2019, 2020 season, LeBron would be doing it with this group. It's one of the reasons, it's one of the reasons why Patrick Beverly was presumed to be such a good fit next to LeBron James. It's because he is not a primary ball handling guard. And LeBron would, in theory, fill that role, but but Beverly would be the defender of those players and Yada, yada, yada. I would argue that that makes him a good fit next to Russell Westbrook as well, right? Like that idea that Russ is going to have the ball, Bev's job is to 3 and D, right? Like I think the, that's more of a natural 3 and D role, whereas as you said, the starting group requires some ball handling, some shot creation, and Pat Bev's a little miscast as that at this point. And let me state this as clearly as I can. I would start him over Patrick Beverly without with zero expectations that it's going to go well or that it's going to work or anything else. Like I would start him because I, I think this team needs to see it. Mm -hmm. Like there, there is a certain amount of, they have not gotten the reps mm -hmm. and it sucks that they're about to be whatever 
20% into their season, Mike, and they actually haven't seen their full, quote-unquote, full team yet. And, like, this is the perils of having so many minimum salaried players and their relative talent level being close enough that you feel like you can slide each one of these guys in because they have relative strengths and weaknesses that are similar. But the actuality of minimum salaried player is that even though their talent levels are the same, they're sliders of the individual skills that make up their overall ranking. If this was like a 2K game, it would be different, right? And so Beverly sliders might be defense this, hands this, like leadership intangibles this, and Dennis Reuters might be speed that and shot creation that and all this other stuff. And it's like, so sure, they may both be 75 rankings, but their skill sets are different. And one of the things that I think the Lakers need to see is how these different skill sets match up in order to produce a whole that is greater than the sum of its parts, which is what this team was always going to need to be Mm -hmm. to be the best version of itself without a trade that was going to bring in a higher quality or better quality depth pieces in order to surround LeBron and, and Anthony Davis. And that's why it's just like, sorry, Pat Bev, like. You're shooting 20% from from three. I love the toughness. I love the defensive intensity. I think Dennis can provide some of that toughness and defensive intensity, but only on point guards. And then we'll see how the shot creation helps. And that's sort of my argument around that. Do I expect Darwin to do that on day one? I don't. But I'm just saying, from my perspective, that's where I'm at mentally. I've seen enough of Pat Bev to know, hey, we can go back to that. If we need to go back to that, let's try this new thing and change up the the recipe structure of this dish that we're trying to bake. Well, it's obviously easier to try something new when the team has performed as it has to this point. Mm-hmm. It's even to the point where you're more willing than you maybe should be to just whoever the shiny new toy is that anything that you get to unwrap <laughs> yeah. is going to look good. And I think we can have the same conversation about Thomas Bryant, but just to wrap up the shooter thought. You know, in terms of just net rating, like the last couple of years, when he was with the Lakers, he was a plus 2.2. And that was lower than most of the the team, like the good lineups. Like LeBron was plus 9.2 that year. Caruso was 5.5. AD was 5.2. And that was the same net rating that he had with the Celtics. But that was on the Celtics team where Tatum was like over over plus 10. You know, a lot of their a lot of their starters and the guys that ended up playing more as the season went on were above that. And then Beverly has always been this the net rating star. Um, now that slipped a little bit last year in Minnesota, but I think he was still like around a five. And but he he just clearly has not had that same type of on the floor impact in terms of the team just outscoring the other uh, the opponent. Um, while it has been better than most players on the team, though, uh, and and it doesn't always it hasn't always showed up super neatly. I think he's so he's. Minus 2.6 right now, but that on the Lakers trails only Wenyan Gabriel and Max Christie. And mm-hmm. Davis is next at minus 4.2. So even that tells you something. Like when Beverly, he's not hitting shots and he's, you know, sometimes it's post-game interviews and this and that, but he still tends to be on the court or at least not on the court during big runs, you know, of the other team. So there's something about mm-hmm. him that is still effective. Uh, even when he's not looking good. And and I, I just wouldn't dismiss that entirely um, as I too want to see shooter, but I'm not, I'm not pretending like it's going to 
it's it's a, a sure thing. Agreed. Bev has value. I'm trying to build out five man groupings yeah. that actually win minutes, right? And yep. Beverly is in stretches of those where they do win minutes, but clearly not enough because he still got a negative net rating, right? Now that's a bunch of different things mattering. That's LeBron, that's AD, that's what's it look like with Lonnie Walker and all this other stuff. But but Pete, that's the that's the goal of the coach, right? Is like you can't keep throwing out lineups that lose by two points every hundred possessions because guess what like over the course of the game you're going to lose every single time Mm -hmm. and and so they have found formulas that work in the second quarter they've found some formulas that work in certain stretches of like the wraparound between the first and the second quarter and similarly at the end of the third quarters like they found some stretches now the point is is finding more of those groups that that work and i'm interested to see if dennis can be a part of that because his skill set is something that's been missing yeah i'm pretty happy with that last six minutes of the first quarter and first five minutes of the second quarter that wraparound that we talked about i think that's where our lineups are at their best but so so it's a matter of addressing our starters and our closers like, oh, that's all right. <laughs> you know, the two most important lineups that you have on a team. But that's where we need to put that, you know, uh, that attention uh, into the team. And so very curious to see how Dennis fits into that. Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll talk some Thomas Bryant. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. So one of the the big things that I lament in our text thread and here on the podcast is just how small we are, kind of unnecessarily, I think, oftentimes. And in that vein, Thomas Bryant returning is a really welcome sight. I'm a big T big guy, and he's he's a, a he's a big dude. He's strong. He plays really hard, great motor, and there's nobody who takes more joy in the success of his teammates than Thomas Bryant. He's a really just 
real encourager in those groups where when we go on a run and it's really electric, he's going to add to that. And he adds a different dimension to that. But Mike, as we've talked about, like the idea of us going bigger has been something that's just been hypothetical. There's, it's not been something that Darwin's shown much inclination for. So I think there's a good chance that TB's not even in the rotation. Now, it's been said that he's to play on Friday. I don't know if that means that he will actually play in the game or be active on the roster. But what do you know? What are you hearing about Thomas Bryant and kind of how he fits into this? Well, I think that Bryant, at the start of the preseason, you know, Bryant is still working his back his way back from injury and just hadn't played a lot lately. And his shot in the rhythm of his shot wasn't there. And I think that was part of the idea when signing Thomas Bryant. Oh, look, he shot this percent from three in a decent amount of attempts in Washington. And that's great because he's still a big body, but you can space out the floor some. You could play next to Anthony Davis. I think that was the idea. And then just in the practices in the camps, I think that Jones looks better in those types of situations because he was more in NBA shape. And, you know, in practices, he's just going up and catching lob dunks. You know, he's not missing a bunch of three pointers. And Jones just physically sort of looks good in those types of settings. And then you get into the preseason in the games and Bryant started a little bit slow, but as it went on, he started to gain some strength and was clearly playing better than Jones. Uh, and, and I think that things were trending that way that he would have gotten some, a, a chance to show some of that rhythm and, and a chance to play more. And then he got hurt. So I guess to me, you just pick right back up from that point where I think that he's going to be probably a better option um, than Jones, but what kind of rhythm is he in? If the if the shot is still looking the same way that it looked, is that something that you have patience with and just let grow? And do you just need the size so much that I know, Pete, you've spoken about a lot that no matter what, almost his hustle and his running the floor mm -hmm. and, and that gives you a certain element that you really aren't even getting from Wenyan Gabriel based on his body size. Right. Um, mm -hmm. You get the hustle stuff from from Gabriel, but you don't get that actual size. So to me, he's somebody else that, that I think needs to be given a fair shot uh, in showing what he can do in the games. And you just wish that the team wasn't three and 10 and you had a little bit more time to experiment and to take a look at that, depending on how it went. Yeah. This is the interesting thing about forecasting anything when it comes to Dennis and TB's return, right? Is that the guys who you mentioned, Mike, so you mentioned Damian Jones, in relation to Thomas Bryant. Pete, you mentioned Kendrick Nunn in relation to Dennis Schroeder. You know who hasn't been playing a lot of minutes lately? Kendrick Nunn and Damian Jones, right? <laughs> That's right. And so we're forecasting these guys to return into roles that don't really exist. Right. Right? It's like, it's like, probably like, Max's great. minute. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, like you move up, you get to sit in the front now of the bench. <laughs> right. You get to actually wear the uniform, but it's Halloween for you. Like it might as well be a costume mm. because you ain't actually going in unless it's garbage time. I, I want more than that for Thomas Bryant personally. And one of the things that I think that can exist is this idea of what you were signed for, but actually what you can do. And the yeah. dissonance between those things can sometimes be the difference in everything for you in terms of success and failure on your team. And so Mike, I have a theory about Thomas Bryant. Oh, this is good. And is this the one you told me the other day? Yes. Yes, this is good. So I have a theory about Thomas Bryant in relation to, to Damian Jones and why Damian Jones was forecasted 
as the starter and Thomas Bryant forecasted as a reserve. And I have a feeling that Jones was probably just outshining TB in real athletic ways because because David Jones is the exact player type that can give Thomas Bryant problems. He is a run and jump athlete. He's got good size. He's got good, well, good length. He's going to challenge TB inside. He's going to slide with him out on the perimeter. He's going to just be a big athletic bouncy dude. And Thomas Bryant is a more ground bound player. And I have a feeling that in matchups where they were going head to head, it's probably just like, oh man, look at Jones. He's just swallowing up Thomas Bryant in terms of like maybe challenging the shots around the basket, which is stuff that we've seen Jones do in actual games. Like he got a couple of good blocks on Sabonis. And it's just like, oh, wow, look at you. But when you deploy those two players against other teams and you looked at what Thomas Bryant was doing in the preseason, not every team has this 6'11", 7-foot run and jump athlete that's all bouncy in the paint that's going to bother you. In fact, there's not so many guys like that around the league that that's even a prevalent archetype anymore. So I'm thinking that when you actually played out the preseason games, it was Thomas Bryant whose skill set and motor and feel around the basket and his finishing ability, those things were just better than Jones. Mm -hmm. And that's that trending that you were talking about, Mike. And, And so I do hope that that. TB is not cast into this idea of, well, you're our stretch five. You -hmm. need to camp out and space the floor so that LeBron can post up, so that AD can post up and this, this, that, and the other, because the things that TB does do are good big man things. He can finish in the paint and he does have good hands. He will attack the backboards. He he will step up and show early help, even if he's not the shot blocker, right? And so there are defensive concerns I have with TB for sure, and Likewise. I don't want to oversell his his effectiveness at at all. But I think the motor that he plays with is going to be super useful, and the size that he has is going to make it so that if you do play two bigs together, he can actually guard the other dude's center mm-hmm. and allow AD to do more forward things defensively, which I think give the Lakers a look, Pete, that they have not had this season at all. And I think it'd be too dismissive of what that value can be if it's all wound up into the idea, well, you better make some threes. Right. Because if you don't make some threes, we don't get all of these other benefits that you can provide to to well, to the team. And that's why I'm just like, I hope he's not just typecast into this one thing. And if he doesn't do this one thing, he won't play. I'm so glad you brought that up because one of those years where he shot 40% from three on like one and a half, two attempts per game, he led the NBA in two point field goal percentage. Now think about that. As you said, he is a ground bound player. Now this is pre a knee injury, right? He was a couple years younger, but he was never a, a run and jump athlete, like you said. And so to be able to do that while not being the guy that has access to the vertical plane, the way that a lot of other guys do, I think says something about the rest of your game. And one thing 
I really like the combo of him and Wenyon. I'd like to see them together and maybe some of the LeBron lineups where AD is off the floor. You brought up the TB, AD type of lineups. But one thing that TB has that Wenyon also has is understanding and knowledge of this offense, meaning that from the dunker spot, he's going to know when to tee up, when to dive right to the front of the rim. He's going to he's a, a better passer than you would expect. Like he reads the offense in ways that we always think of guys like, Austin or Pat Bev as like those wheel greaser types that will set a good pin screen or make a good cut or something like that, Mike. But there's a big band version of that, too. And I think that a good energy big is also a higher IQ type of player. And so and on top of that, his ability to finish around the rim with either hand in different positions. That's why he was able to lead the league in two point field goal percentage, despite not being that high fly act. And so that's where I go with TB on the offensive end. Defensively, I think the biggest concern with him is because he's not a leaper, the defensive coverage that we run, he's a straight up five. He's not going to defend any fours or anything like that. But that big man is asked to backpedal into a, into like you're supposed to, that big man is asked to, you know, put a little pressure on the guard, but it's a, a one versus two type of situation where he's got to backpedal and break up any potential lob. And that's not something TB does particularly well. We even saw in the preseason where guards can kind of attack at his chest and then just go over the top of him. And so as a five, not having that over the top type of protection that's really central to this defense, I'm curious how much that's going to knock him down. So I'm curious, Mike, do you see him in the rotation to, to start out with? Because if that's the case, then like if, if Darvin's worried about that, there's a case to make that, oh, TB's your third big in case AD or Wenyon get hurt. Well, he's just, Darvin's going to have to do what he's been doing with the guys that he has and it's experiment. Like he's just going to have to do it in live action because you can't tell mm -hmm. enough of this stuff in practice. You can't tell when he goes and plays with the South Bay Lakers. Uh, and I, so I think that he will get his shot and if he plays well, that will, that will lead to more minutes. So it's not, this isn't a very satisfying answer, uh, even for myself as I give it because, but I it's do the right like way. the, I do like the theory and the idea of, of the team just being bigger um, because that's, I just, there've been so many games this year where the lack of size that they have on the wing, what we're essentially doing in putting Brian out there more times is, is pushing AD and at times even LeBron to the wing. And yes, please. I just think that the Lakers just have to, because they don't have the other it's Troy Brown on the wing is his it's fine, but it's still smaller um, than what it needs to be mm -hmm. at times. And because I've always been of the school that. Even even with guards like AD, and again, this is a like two years ago AD, but he might be your best guy guarding Damian Lillard. Like it's, it sounds a little bit silly, but like going out onto the switches and it just sort of containing mm -hmm. and enveloping and keeping in certain parts of the floor and not just n taking away the rim altogether. That is something mm -hmm. that I, I would like to get at least closer back to. And that's where I think Schroeder and, and Brian are in a bit of a similar similar situation, the personnel that is there right now, while it can be effective at times, if shots are going in and if AD is being super aggressive and if Russ isn't turning, there's a lot of ifs there, but it's not ideal. And so this is, this is as much as a couple of other tools for Darwin, at least to see what he can do optimally. And then as guys get injured and miss a game here or there, like it'll, he'll be able to work that better all overall with what the roster is and what the system is. A direction I wanted to steer our conversation is what type of team the Lakers are. 
what type of team they're trying to be and how the personnel and lineup combinations purport to sort of promote those ideas. Pop quiz for both of you guys, actually. Over the last five games, where do you think the Lakers rank in both three-point field goal attempts and three-point field goal percentage? Just rankings, Uh, not statistics uh, or numbers, Uh, but just Around 10, I'd say? For percentage. uh, For percentage, yeah, I'd guess around number 10. I think attempts are lower, but percentage uh, percentage was, um, I mean, didn't I say this like on the last pod? Was it was it 15 or 18 in percentage? Or no, so, or was it very, nine? Yeah, whatever. Very good, Mike. Hey. Very good. In their last five games, they are shooting 35.6% from three. That is 18th in okay. the league, right ahead of the Dallas Mavericks and the Miami Heat, for example, and right next to the Pelicans and even the Celtics. In terms of attempts, though, attempts is the interesting thing. They are 29th in attempts Mm. over the last five games. They have taken 135 threes. um, Contrast that to the number one team, the the Indiana Pacers. Over their last five games, they have taken 211. (laughs) One of the reasons why I bring this up is because in the last five games, Anthony Davis has taken three three three-pointers. He's made one of them. Wenyan Gabriel has taken two three-pointers, and he has made one of them. So the two big men who have played for the Lakers have taken a combined five three-pointers over the last five games. This is what I'm talking about in terms of what what type of team are you? Mm -hmm. What do you ask your big men to do? Mm -hmm. And so this is why, again, I'm arguing for Thomas Bryant, and I hope that he's not being cast into this idea of shooting threes because guess what none of your bigs are shooting threes and you need to find the things that your team can do and playing bigger is likely going to lead to some things that actually allow you to do the things you actually want to do more which is play in transition and attack the paint particularly with lebron james and and anthony davis because the activity level you're likely going to get and the ability to finish possessions defensively is going to go up Because you're probably going to rebound better. You're probably going to get more deflections, more stops, more of all of this other stuff. Now, again, I'm speculating here. We have to see it on the court. But these are the this is the shift that I think the Lakers is the best version of these Lakers, not as their primary look, but as one of their looks within the context of all of these other looks, because I don't want to lose the aggressive version of of Anthony Davis. I don't want him playing in all of these two big lineups all of the time where he is relegated to either spotting up or just basically more to the side. I want him in the middle of the frame more offensively. And I think that that's going to come from him setting more screens for them being more just, this is the idea. Let's get him in the post. Let's do these things in order to highlight him. How that works with a second big on the court is trickier, right? And so I don't want to act like I'm arguing for, for this thing, but for, for it to be like their dominant look, but Pete, I do think that there is room for this idea and there's room for TB to be a part of that. There is room for Dennis to be a part of that. And it is going to come, I think, at the expense of other players who have been playing and who maybe have been playing well enough to keep their job, but maybe not well enough because the team is three and ten. 
right? Yeah, it's one of those things where it's not even an indictment on individuals. It's really like we're just trying to find the best five-man lineups that work. And you may be playing fine, but there may be somebody who fits that spot better. And so with TB, like the argument Mike was making, like there's no – we've talked so much about trades and, you know – you know, guys on the market, things like that. There's no better forward the Lakers can add to the team than Anthony Davis. And he's currently a five. And that's all he's been this whole season. And so just the domino effect, even, you know, talking about TB aside, is something that, that pushes you into different looks where all of a sudden you get that AD who's also able to wreak havoc on the perimeter. You want to be able to do both. That's the great thing about Anthony Davis is he is everything. He's like, he can do anything on the basketball court. I remember hearing Kobe talk about AD. I, I would love... Kobe's quotes on AD and just like he was but just yeah just AD like that ability to have him as a perimeter player to have him on those rim runs which he's not going to have when he's back there contesting shots when he can close out to a perimeter guy and keep running how many cheap free points do we get a game on that when he's able to do that on a team that needs some offense so just yeah like all of this has a chain reaction effect that it's really curious I'm really curious to see what direction Darvin goes in and the the crazy part is he's got probably a dozen different directions he can go in and experiment on that have varying degrees of validity so but that's the job. That's where we're at. Um, and we've got some opportunity to get some wins over the next few games to kind of get us back into the pack as this is all happening. So lots of stuff going on in Lakerland. We'll be back tomorrow to talk about a little more of it. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires, it's good, and the Lakers win the game! The Lakers win the game! Three seconds left, that next to the winner, it's on the way, good! Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds, with his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe, hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two. Let's go. Unbelievable. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. Add insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good. Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers. James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.